What up, world? It's your past first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You are listening to another episode of Lockdown Blazers, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Indochino, the world's most exciting made-to-measure menswear company. And today is another installment of the Lockdown Blazers Countdown to Training Camp. We're dedicating a full episode to every player on the roster and giving you a brief but thorough look at what they'll bring to the Blazers. We'll look at how they performed last season, how they wound up on the Blazers. We'll talk best case and worst case scenarios for the upcoming year and finish the episode out with a discussion of likely role and expectations. This is our seventh installment of the Countdown to Training Camp, so if you missed any, check out your podcast feed for the other six. Today is all about Pau Gasol. Let's start with viewing the 2018-19 season for the soon-to-be 19th-year NBA vet. Pau appeared in 30 games last year with the San Antonio Spurs and the Milwaukee Bucks. Let's start with his performance in San Antonio, where he started the season. Played in 27 games, including six starts. Averaged 4.2 points on 46% shooting and 50% from three. Didn't take a lot of threes, but he made them. Also added 4.7 rebounds, 1.9 assists in 12.2 minutes for the Spurs. But he was waived by San Antonio on March 1st. Uh, it's basically the last pot. It's not basically. It is the last possible day that uh, a player can be waived and still be eligible to sign with another team in the playoffs. So the Spurs held out on keeping Pau Gasol as long as they possibly could and then did the man a solid and waived him. So he was not on an NBA roster after March 1st and he was able to sign with a contender. Unfortunately, it didn't really work out for Powell in Milwaukee for a variety of reasons. He played just three games and 30 total minutes. All off the bench, he averaged 1.3 points, 3.3 rebounds. He was one for six from the floor. His only bucket was a three-pointer. He signed with Milwaukee on March 3rd, so he had, uh, I guess, one full day March 2nd where he was unemployed. But he signed with the Bucks on March 3rd. Played in a couple games, including, uh, somewhat comically, one against the Spurs. But Gasol's season officially ended in May when he elected to have surgery to repair a stress fracture in his left foot. Uh, He was inactive from March 19th, and he finally had surgery on May 10th. He was obviously dealing with that issue, probably seeing if he could wait it out and maybe be a part of the playoff plan, and eventually in May decided that he could not be. So he had surgery. He's expected to make a full recovery, although he said in meeting with the media when he was signed with the Blazers, kind of getting ahead of myself here, but why not, um, that he his goal was to be ready for training camp. So he's not necessarily totally clear and totally back and, and with the full go all 100%, but he's working his way back from that surgery in May. But we're talking 2018-19 season, so let's stay there for a bit. Gasol only topped uh, the 20-minute mark twice, and he never played more than uh, 24 minutes in any game last year. Excuse me, topped the 20-minute mark three times. Uh, His season high in points came in January when he had 13-9, and four assists, and a road win at New Orleans. It was one of four games in which he scored in double figures all season long. Uh, In November, he had 12 12 points, eight rebounds, five assists, and two blocks in a seven-point home loss to the Magic. Uh, Another of those four double-digit games you might have seen if you're a Portland resident. It came in Portland in the second game of the season when he had 10 points, four boards, and a 13-point loss at the Moda Center. He had double-digit rebounds twice. 
once early in the season and went over the Lakers, and again in January to loss at Memphis. Those, all of those stats I just read off came in uh, playing time with the Spurs. His time in Milwaukee didn't include much on-court production to draw from, but I think it's important that a team like the Bucks, a top seed in the East with an eye towards title contention, wanted to add Pau Gasol to the bench. Clearly at least one playoff-level team, uh, the type of team the Blazers certainly consider themselves this year, thought that Pau Gasol could be a useful part um, either as a center who does stuff on the court or a veteran who does other stuff to help off the court. Gasol's overall resume, and we're not really touching on his his career achievements here, but it's undeniably impressive. And I'm of the mindset that he's probably underrated as peak, even with his pretty impressive list of accomplishments. A six-time All-Star, a four-time All-NBA selection, a two-time NBA champion. He's also, if you're into this type of accumulation stuff, the only active player and one of 18 players in NBA history to have 20,000 points and 10,000 rebounds. That's more of a PR note than an expression of what he can give, but the dude's done it a long time. And signing with the Bucks at the time that he did, at the time of year when you pretty much are only adding for guys who might be able to help in some form or fashion in the playoffs, suggests that there are other front offices beyond the Blazers who think that he's still useful. I have speculated in previous podcasts, and I encourage you to go listen to the July 25th is Pau Gasol Good podcast in this same Twitter feed where you, or excuse me, same podcast feed where you found this episode. Just scroll back a little bit. But I speculated, would Pau Gasol have been in the NBA if the Blazers hadn't come calling? And to be clear, the Blazers did come calling, offering him a veteran minimum one-year deal to sign with uh, the team at the end of July. Two years ago, in, in the summer of 2016, uh, three years ago, excuse me, the Blazers had offered Pau Gasol a much larger contract, two years and $40 million to come with the Blazers. He did not take that offer, choosing instead to sign with the Spurs. Two years later, they get him at the minimum, uh, probably a deal more fairly suited to his skill set. But Pau's here on a one-year deal. Um, I also think even with the resume, even with the the sort of known stuff about Gasol as a player, and I'll talk more about that later in the podcast, there are some concerns about what a guy who's 39 years old can give to an NBA team. It's undeniable that not a lot of people play to that age. So speculating that maybe at 39 a guy might not have a lot left, I think is fair. So that's what I want to talk about in the second segment. I want to talk... Best case scenario for Pau Gasol in his first season with the Blazers, and worst case scenario for Pau Gasol with the Blazers. But before we get there, I want to tell you guys about Indochino. Indochino is the world's most exciting made-to-measure menswear company. This week, my listeners can get any premium Indochino suit for just $369 at Indochino.com when entering the promo code LOCKEDON, that's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, at checkout. Okay, so we talked Pau Gasol's 2018-19 year in review. And now, we're going to look at the best case and worst case scenarios with him on the Blazers. Before we get into the meat of the segment, I want to remind you that the best case scenario and worst case scenario are within reason and without injuries. We're not predicting MVPs unless it's reasonable to that a player would win MVP. And we're not predicting injuries because that's just not the thing that we're doing. We're talking things that could reasonably happen on the basketball court. So let's start there. 
The best case scenario for Pau Gasol is that he's a useful backup center that can be available for 70 games. It's that he's still an NBA player at age 39. There haven't been many of those, but the best case for Pau Gasol is that he joins the handful of Hall of Fame type players that were average or above average contributors after the 38th birthday. The best case scenario for Pau Gasol is that he's still an offensive weapon in his 19th season and that defensively he can at least be in the right spot because it isn't reasonable to think that he's going to be out there on the perimeter switching pick and rolls and chasing around the best athletes in the world. If he can score a little on pick and pops, uses high-level passing instincts, and maintain some level of efficiency inside, I'd have to consider that a best case scenario. The Blazers didn't sign Pau Gasol from 2009. But if Pau Gasol from 2017 shows up, that's about as best case scenario as the Blazers could possibly expect. And what I mean by that is Pau Gasol was good during the 2017-18 season. He played 23 and a half minutes a game that year, averaged 10 points, 8 rebounds, and 3 assists. If that version of Pau Gasol or something close to it shows up for in Portland this year, that's the best case scenario. That's a huge win. The best case scenario for Powell also involves some behind-the-scenes things that are harder to measure, uh, but it would have to include him acting as a mentor, not just for bigs like Zach Collins and Hassan Whiteside and Scalabissier, but offering some championship-level insight to Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. Uh, it's hard to measure these things, as so many of them are like unseen or underappreciated in real time, but the best version of 39-year-old Powell Gasol has to include dispensing some veteran wisdom both basketball and otherwise, to his younger teammates. Not every 39-year-old is a mentor. It's a word that probably gets thrown around too much with guys who are adults. People who are past their 35th birthday, they're a mentor to young players. But there's no way you can consider the best case for Pau Gasol without considering him being a valuable mentor and giving some value to the team in that respect. So let's shift gears a little bit. I usually close this segment with pessimism and worst case scenario because it's more in my wheelhouse. So what's the worst case scenario for Pau Gasol? It's that he just isn't an NBA player at age 39. He can't stay on the floor defensively and his offensive skills that made him an all-star and future Hall of Famer a decade ago have completely deteriorated. And the offense he theoretically provides just never materializes. The worst case for Balgasol is that Zach Collins and even Scalabissier are better options at backup center, and he spends most nights watching. The worst case also includes just a lack of enjoyment. Powell signed with the intention of having a real role in getting actual minutes as a backup big man, so the worst case scenario is one in which he can't be a regular contributor, and that just includes some lack of enjoyment that might help to erode the veteran leadership stuff that most expect him to provide. On top of that, the worst case scenario for Pagasol includes him just simply not wanting to be that veteran mentor. And he's the more grumpy, get-off-my-lawn vet than the take-me-you-under-my-wing elder. The worst case scenario for Pagasol is that he's done. And that he gets a final year in Portland to find out that he's done. I usually reserve some of the space after I do best case and worst case scenarios to give you the caveat that most guys are going to fall in the middle of the sort of polar scenarios that I've laid out. And while that might be true with Pau Gasol, just because of the nature of providing two polar opposites, is that 
almost every player should fall somewhere in between what's the worst thing that could happen to them and what's the best thing that could reasonably happen to them in a given season. But I don't think I necessarily feel that way about Gasol. Father Time, as they say, and as I'll say now, is undefeated. And I tend to think that once a guy his age falls off the cliff, the decline is so steep and permanent. You're just not regaining. If you're no good at 39, there's nothing to regain. You're just no good. I'll give you more of my thoughts on the expectations for Paul Gasol in the next segment, but for this best-case, worst-case polarity here, I feel more so than maybe anyone else on the roster that Powell will have it be strongly one way or the other. He's either going to be a contributor that's more towards his best-case scenario, or he really, really won't be a contributor. And that's because of who and what he is. He's a 39-year-old center who at one time was incredibly skilled and... That was a decade ago. It's unlikely he lands cleanly in the middle of my predictions because I think if he starts tending towards the worst case, that's where he's heading. He just won't be an NBA player. So, I guess it's fair to ask, what the hell will Pau Gasol be then? That's what I want to talk about in the third segment. When you look at this guy... And when you're thinking about what he can bring and why the Blazers brought him in here, what's a realistic role for him? What are realistic expectations for someone his age uh, with his type of resume and all that? Still locked on Blazers, still Mike Richmond, still pass first point guard. We talked Pau Gasol's 2018-19 season. We talked his best case, worst case scenarios. And my feeling that if he leans towards worst case, that's where he's headed. I kind of just believe in the momentum of a guy who's on the wrong side of 38, the wrong side of 39, trying to play in an NBA season. He certainly could prove me wrong. He certainly could be a useful role player. But that's what I want to talk about in this segment. What is a realistic expectation? What is it, What is Powell's role going to be on this team? And here's how I feel. I think Powell Gasol's the backup center from day one in training camp. I think they brought him in here to play real minutes. I don't think he signed here with the idea that he's going to sit and watch. That said, I think Pau Gasol is not going to be able to play on some nights. I'm skeptical that he can still play at all, but I'm certain and I'm absolutely certain that there's some nights where he won't be able to play. If he can't take advantage of smaller players down low, he can't play. And I think it's reasonable to think that there are more than a handful of teams that don't have true backup centers that Powell matches up with. That said, and, I, and I've already alluded to this, he's going to play early in the season. He's going to have real minutes. The Blazers are going to see what he has left. So particularly for the opening two months of the season, he has a role there for him. He's going to play 12 to 15 minutes a night as the backup center behind Hassan Whiteside. They're going to run offense through him. They're going to see what he can do as because in his prime, Pau Gasol was the most skilled seven-footer in the NBA. It was a brief window, but he really was that in the 08 to 2011 era. And I've hyped this pot up before, but I'll mention it one more time. I kind of laid out uh, in the July 25th episode titled, Is Pau Gasol Good? That there aren't a lot of guys his age who have been league average or better contributors. It doesn't strike me as overly negative that someone of his age and size wouldn't be very good in the NBA in his 19th season. 
But he's going to play. He's going to play early. 12 to 15 minutes, they're going to let him do what he does. Or at least figure out what he has left. Because they brought him here late in July. And I imagine other teams at least would have, if they weren't going to kick the tires in July, if he wanted to play this year, there's a, there's a, I think there's a pretty good chance that someone with his resume and someone who's done done it for as long as he has in the league and isn't too far removed from being a pretty good player, like I said, that 2017-18 season, he was like a real NBA player, a very good backup center. The cliff comes quick, but he was a real NBA player two seasons ago. So it's reasonable to think that other teams would have come calling, if not in July, in training camp or in December or whatever, when, when big men go down. So Powell's decision to sign with the Blazers is probably in part because they did call in July and he got that guaranteed chance to run it back for season 19. But it's also because they said, maybe more than other teams had made clear, we have a hole at backup center. The guy who was our backup center a season ago, at least one of the guy who's still on the roster was a backup center a season ago, is now our starting power forward. So if you're going to play Zach Collins at power forward, it becomes trickier just rotations-wise to sneak him in at backup center and still have, still get him useful rest. So they needed a backup five. There's minutes for Powell. They told him, there's minutes for you. We're going to play you. You've got you know, 12 or 15 guaranteed if you come here. So he chose to come here knowing that he would play. I don't think he would have chosen a landing spot if he wanted to come back where he wouldn't have had at least a reasonable expectation to get minutes. There are going to be games this year where Pau Gasol can't play. When teams go small and he can't, he just isn't the type of player that can beat up on small ball rosters in the post anymore. Or if it isn't beating up on guys in the post, he just can't keep up with small ball lineups. But teams with traditional backup bigs, Pau Gasol could probably match up against. And the Blazers are counting on him to be able to do that to some extent. So a reasonable role for him, particularly in the season, is the straight-up bona fide backup center. I think Pau is pretty much guaranteed to be in that top eight to begin the year. And... Judging what the roster looks like right now, it's hard for me to see a situation where he drops totally off the end of the earth. Unless it's Scalabus Yair and Anthony Tolliver getting a bunch of minutes over him. But it's hard for me to believe that he's, if he's healthy, that the Blazers aren't going to trot him out there for at least a couple six-minute bursts in the first and second half. Beyond the basketball stuff... And I'm admittedly skeptical of what he still has left with the obvious caveat that the Bucks had interest in him last season and that I'm an idiot. The Bucks certainly know more about basketball than me. But beyond my skepticism about Gasol's on-court contribution, I think Portland fans will really like him. It's one of my realistic expectations for next season. He's a great quote. You'll enjoy what he says to the media and when you see little sound bites of him on YouTube or wherever you get him, I guess social media of sorts. Um, he's a thoughtful citizen by nearly every account, and he has real interests outside of basketball I think Blazers fans will be drawn towards. Uh, if you're a Portland native, imagine, or a Portland resident, imagine Paul Gasol taking selfies at Keller Auditorium or the Arlene Schnitzer Concert Hall after watching a play or a symphony performance. 
Imagine Palgasol going to wine country on a Saturday off day and talking earnestly about the Willamette Valley vineyards on, so, on his social media accounts. Uh, he's the type of guy, if the other stuff even goes kind of right, Blazers fans are going to love. The guy is worldly. He likes opera and wine and, and soaking in culture of the various places he's, he's played professional basketball in the United States. I think that will endear him to fans. And if he's kind of good on the court while being an endearing personality off the court, he'll be an absolute fan favorite. People already kind of just like Powell just because they, if you like know anything about him, you know these kind of things that he's, uh, he's, he's kind and thoughtful and, and, uh, you know, a humanitarian who uh, enjoys the finer things in life. But if he's, if he's even passably okay on the court with all those things and he's already sort of tending towards like people giving him the benefit of the doubt thinking that he's a cool dude, he'll be a fan favorite immediately. People will be wearing his jersey in the stands. People will be going nuts when he goes in the game. He will be a fan favorite. I kind of think the Blazers mostly added, except for the like what could go south with Hassan Whiteside, I think the Blazers, most of their additions are... The types of players, and I'm talking mostly with like sort of off-court personality stuff, but the types of players that the Blazer fan base will really rally behind. I think, and I said this on the previous podcast, I think fans will really love Camp Bazemore. I think fans will really love Pau Gasol. I don't think it's intentional on the front office's part to add these guys with compelling personalities, but it's certainly a bonus, even if it's something that the basketball decision makers don't wholly consider they certainly think about chemistry and stuff i don't think they think about fan appeal as much as will this guy get along in the locker room with his other co-workers so that's what i think about Pau Gasol. i think at 39 it's a challenge to play nba basketball i think the types of people that have been good at his age are hall of fame type players and Pau Gasol is a hall of fame type player does he still have anything left who knows We'll find out in a couple weeks. Blazers training camp is opens at the end of this month. We are going to be rolling out these player previews up until training camp starts. This is the seventh installment. We got seven more to go. Plus whatever I decide to do with Jalen Horde, number 15. Tell your friends about Lockdown Blazers. They can catch up on these pot on these episodes wherever they already get podcasts. That's on Google Podcasts, Apple Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. I really appreciate you guys listening. We got more player previews coming up this month in our countdown to training camp. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.